Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. That kid is back on the escalator again. Hand on her. Is my boomstick. Game over, man. Game over. Welcome to the Bargain Bin. He is your host, Ben Mason. And he is your co-host, Sandra Luketic. And today we're talking 1988's They Live. We assume if you're listening to this episode, you've already seen the movie. All right, buddy. I know for a fact you haven't seen this movie before, but I really want to know what your thoughts were going into it. What are you talking about? I haven't seen it before. I saw it twice this week. That is okay, before fine. right now. Yeah, all right. So before this week, <laughs> what did you know about They Live? Well, I know that you and Joe gave me a hard time about not seeing it before this week. <laughs> and rightfully so, man. This is a staple. Everyone has to watch this. Okay. Like it or not. <laughs> so what did I know about They Live before last week? I knew that Roddy Piper was in it. Mm-hmm. And I knew that the meme, I came here to chew bubblegum and kick ass, and I'm all out of bubblegum, came from this movie. That is what I knew about this movie. I didn't, even, right. I didn't even know that Keith David was in it, which is surprising because I'm a big fan of Keith David. He's great. I didn't know it was a John Carpenter movie, um, which is sad because I absolutely loved when we did The Thing, which was both Keith David and John Carpenter. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't know Meg Foster was in it, but uh, I I still don't even believe she was in it after seeing the movie twice. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, um, I didn't know much. Did you know, like, the sunglasses thing or where, like, yeah, that, yeah, uh, yeah, I had an idea. The whole obey thing. I didn't know the details. To be honest, I saw some of those memes, um, mm-hmm. you know, like, most of them were GIFs on, like, Twitter, and you would see it. And I thought they were even, like, fabricated ones that people made. You know what I mean? Like, taking the scene where he sees something else and putting stuff in, like, obey. Yeah, as as if like they were photoshopping their own. I didn't realize that those were legit the way they happened in the movie. So that was actually kind of interesting to see. Oh yeah, definitely, man. Like it like it's really well done. And like you 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 think somebody made it and they're trying to be clever on Twitter and then you see that it's actually in the movie and you realize how good the movie could actually be or actually is in my opinion. But um yeah, man, it's um for a movie that came out oh god so long ago don't, don't uh, do the math don't do not I'm, do the I'm, math. i i thank you <laughs> i was going to and i got real hesitant but uh even even today it's um it's still a very clever film but uh do you want to get right into it here yes but before we do i want to say it's clever but it's also not okay yeah yeah think about I that see- I, I see rough waters ahead. <laughs> no, it's not that bad. Anyway, oh, God. Um, all right. Why don't we? Uh, why don't we do it to it? All right. John Carpenter's amazing original theme introduces us to Nada. Uh, I should say this too. Nada is not his actual name. Roddy Piper is not credited, or not his name is not spoken in the film, so he is credited as Nada. Sometimes John Nada. I refer to him as Nada in my notes. That's so, because it's listed as Nada on IMDb. And after watching the movie and pulling up IMDb, 
I looked at it and I'm like, nada, that doesn't sound familiar. I just finished the movie and that doesn't sound familiar. <laughs> and I'm sitting here racking my brain. It's because they never say his name in the movie. No, and you don't notice that until someone asks you. It, like, wasn't, uh, it, it wasn't until I pulled it up on IMDb that it, it even was a thing. I finished the movie. I'm like, yep, that was the movie. You know, I saw start and finish story, character, whatever. Didn't even click in that there was no name. Yeah, uh, names in this movie are a little weird, and uh, we'll get into that in a little bit, but this is a perfect intro into character names and just how strange they are for this film. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, John Carpenter's uh, theme introduces us to Nada, a homeless man wandering his way through a depressing late 80s Los Angeles, clad in jeans, a green bomber jacket, and carrying a full rucksack. Nada is just uh, looking for honest work to earn honest money. Um... We see him go to uh, a job recruiter firm and turned away. Uh, nothing of the nothing available for him at that moment. Um, walking the streets, he sees a street preacher claiming that quote they have recruited the rich and the powerful and blinded everyone to the truth, and not as completely captivated by him. Uh, that is until the police arrive and stop the preaching. The first time we see a fair amount of police. Uh, uh, well, not so much violence here, but we do see a lot of police involvement and violence later in this film. Yeah. Uh, so he says to the recruiter lady that his last job was in Denver, Colorado. Yes. How bad is the state of Denver, Colorado, that being homeless in this version of L.A. is a quote unquote upgrade? <laughs> it's warmer. That's all I got. It's a lot warmer and that's it. Because I'm just thinking, like, he's clearly setting it up. Like, he even tries to play, like, the sympathy card with um, with uh, uh, job placement lady, you know, saying mm -hmm. that work dried up and, you know, whatever. But it's like, <laughs> this place doesn't look like it's the land of opportunity at the moment. Oh, definitely not. But such is Los Angeles, man. No. Hopelessness and uh, people with nothing to do, as we see when Nada walks past a man locked in a gaze watching televisions in the uh, storefront. What man? Like, yeah, just that one guy staring at TVs. But that was a statue, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it is really weird when you're watching it. You're like, this is some overacting to the extreme until you realize why he's so locked into the to the program. Did a great job acting, though. He just stood there. Yeah, I know, but he was captivated. As much as I was. Cross your arms. Shift your weight from one leg to the other. Something. Show that you are alive. No, no, that's the point, man. That's the point. He's so entranced by the signal on the TV that everything else doesn't matter. Whatever, man. You did watch this movie, right? Yes, I did watch this movie. I watched this movie twice. I'm just saying right. that basic motor functions still exist. Not when you're uh, watching this kind of broadcast. No? He couldn't have let out a fart or something? Get out of no. here. No. You're way too into it. Yeah, whatever, man. He walks this up to a construction to site and looks it. Shut up! <laughs> supposed to be into it. We're reviewing the movie. <laughs> Uncalled for. I, I did not think I would cut you off that hard. I'm sorry. <laughs> Episode uh, over. <laughs> uh, he walks up to a construction site looking for work, tells the contractor that he has his own tools, 
but uh, finds out that it's a contract job. Makes sense. He's a contractor. Uh, still gets a place on the crew and works his heart out. I know you have uh, a problem with this scene. I do? Yes. Okay. In that the the contractor isn't actually working. I'm, I'm lost why I would have a problem with the scene. Oh, I thought we had chatted about this before and uh, you... Alright, never mind. I'm looking into it too much. I mean, it's a very accurate scene. Yeah. Unions protect lazy, slovenly employees that stand around doing jack shit. Okay, this is what I was talking about. Why would I have a problem with the scene, though? The scene is very accurate. Okay, I know. I just didn't I didn't get into the whole union thing. I knew you had a problem with it. I don't have a problem with unions. I, God d- damn it, Sandra. I didn't go to school for HR. I, yeah, no, of course not. Anyways, so he takes his shirt off. Ooh la la. Yep. Uh, honestly, uh, a lot of people thought that this was CG and that uh, that Carpenter CG'd Piper's head onto somebody else's body, which is really weird for 1988, but that that was a common belief. Did, did they know that he was a professional wrestler? <laughs> I don't think so, no. You know, you know being in good shape is... You know, not, well, not always, because we do see some more husky fellas, but it is a very common aspect of the profession to be in at least good shape, if not great. I I, I don't know. I've never seen a wrestling match before. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> You're just so full of it. <laughs> uh, he draws the attention of another worker, Frank Armitage, or Armitage, if you will, uh, Keith David. Um, do you find anything interesting about... Uh, Keith David's uh, character's name. Uh, I just had it as Frank. Yeah, Frank Armitage. 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 It's uh, also the name of the screenwriter. Oh, yeah. How could I forget that? I know all of the details about writers and producers and directors. Well, it's also a fake name because it's uh, actually John Carpenter. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. He wrote the movie and used the name Frank Armitage, and then gave the character that name. Now I'm seeing it on IMDb now. Writing credits: John Carpenter as Frank Armitage. Yeah, Armitage, Armitage, Armitage. What Armitage? What Armitage? At the end of the shift, Nada is told by his boss that he isn't allowed to sleep on site and has to find his own lodging. Why did he, he has... assume he was going to sleep on site? I don't know. He was. Just... Is that a thing? Like. He's sitting, or like, not sitting, but like leaning, kind of half sitting on some pile of bricks or whatever. And he's like wiping the sweat off his hard hat. And it's like, it looks like he's just catching his breath after a hard day's work. And the the supervisor (laughs) can't sleep here. Well, he's like, don't get comfortable. You can't sleep here. And it's like, I'm just waiting for my ride, man. Like, (laughs) (laughs) although we did see him sleeping. Uh, I don't know, was it leaning against a wall in front of a garbage can, uh, watching a TV in another apartment the night before? Yeah. Um, so I guess this would have been a better option than that? I guess. it. it it's a weird conclusion to jump to, though. Maybe it's a common thing. That's the, that's the state of L.A. right now, is that most new employees there sleep on site. Well, honestly... <laughs> If, if that's the state of 1988 uh, Los Angeles, it got a lot worse. 
<laughs> over the next several years. Okay, man. Uh, he asks for his money, but finds out that he gets paid on Thursdays. Frank tells him about a place he can stay for free and get hot food and a shower. Uh, I already love the pairing of these two at this point. Uh, the chemistry between them is absolutely amazing. Didn't hit uh, me yet. It didn't hit you yet? Not oh, yet. man. Okay. I'll tell, I'm you, curious. I'll, I'll tell you when. Okay. Uh, during the walk, Frank calls out Nada's intentions oh, and Nada oh, responds. You, you missed the fact that Nada turned down the offer. My bad. Just it makes sense for the next conversation yeah. that's about to happen. Uh, they come upon a small, poor community, uh, people living in an open space that almost feels like it was once a park. Uh, Frank introduces Nada to the staples of the community, including Gilbert, who runs the food kitchen. Nada seems to fit in rather well. You didn't mention the conversation when he was following him. Uh, okay. I, I don't know what conversation you're talking about. I love that part. Well, so Nada turns down Frank's offer to go to this place, but then just starts walking behind him. Mm -hmm. And at one point, Frank just kind of slows down and stops. Right. And Nada, who's trying to make it look like he's not following him, doing a terrible job of it, kind of takes a few steps past him and then like kind of stops like he didn't know what to do because he was following him. Okay. And then Frank says, like, hey, I don't like anybody following me, you know, uh, if I don't know why. And then... Oh, yeah. I do remember that, actually. Because that's where the chemistry for the two of them hit me. All right. Yeah, fair. I don't know why I didn't put that in my notes, but that makes perfect sense. That is a very good scene. It's a very good scene. I really liked it, how they try to, like, out-clever one another, and then they just kind of lay it all out well they lay it all out but then they still don't agree to go together so much as like frank says i don't like anybody following me and nada says i don't like going with anybody until i know um like where they're going type thing yeah and then unspokenly they still just kind of go there almost like they almost like they had this immediate connection and they were like kind of they kind of saw eye to eye or it's like I'm not following you. You're not following me. We're just walking together now. And that was where the chemistry between the two of them started to hit me already. Okay. Yeah. For me, it was a little bit earlier, but yeah, that, that's probably, that cements it for everyone else. Sorry. I just, I had to bring up that scene because I wanted to point out that that's when, when it got me. Yeah, no, for sure. Sorry. I missed that one. Yeah, you should be. Shut up. Take your notes. Frank laments about his past working for the steel company and how they kept laying off people and giving themselves raises. Uh, the golden rule, man. He who has the gold makes the rules. Great line. Frank tries to imbue pessimistic views in Nada, but Nada's too optimistic. He believes in America and he follows the rules. Everybody's got their own hard times these days. Which makes me think of Dusty Rhodes. Uh, I had difficulty with this part. Uh, it felt very forced it to felt, me. It felt very forced, but it's also very contradictory because if you analyze Nada as a character throughout the entire movie... Oh, it's very problematic. He distrusts everyone. He's skeptical on everyone. And I mean, he should be. 
but here we are in this scene where he's saying, you know, you should be optimistic, and he's being yeah. all, it's like, no, no, this well, isn't the character that I see for the rest of the movie. He believes in America, and he follows the rules, and that's why he's a penniless drifter. I guess he says that he believes in America, but he doesn't believe in a single soul in America because he trusts none of them. Nobody. <laughs> I, I do. I like Piper in this role, though. I mean, he's got to be decent at acting for cutting promos and shit. But uh, you might I, not I don't know this, Ben, because you've never seen a match. But wrestlers are also actors. What's a wrestler? Yeah, just got a lot to educate you in. <laughs> um, shit. Sorry, man. I lost my place. You better hope Joe's uh, not listening to this episode. <laughs> Oh, fuck. I forgot. Joe, I apologize. <laughs> I'm just working you, brother. Uh, nighttime. Uh, it's, it's a really strange encampment we have here. Everybody lives outside, but there's still electricity somehow. Uh, people just sitting in old, discarded lounge chairs watching TV every evening. So, uh, so this is another point where I just couldn't help but question the state of Denver and Detroit. If this like rundown shanty town makeshift community the fuck are you talking about detroit for because that's where frank says he's from oh okay so right nada comes from colorado uh frank says he's from yeah. detroit and he's got a wife yes. and two kids there that he apparently just left um yes but the improvement to those situations is this little <laughs> makeshift shanty town yeah, yeah, it's very questionable. Um, also, uh, I guess, I don't know. I'm trying to think of, like, weather in L.A. I guess it's not a lot of rain because there's really no shelter there. No idea. No idea. No, the signal of the channel they're watching is suddenly scrambled and a pirate broadcast begins. Everyone in the surrounding area uh, begins to have headaches Man on the television warns that we are living in an artificially induced state of consciousness that resembles sleep. Eight months ago, a small group of scientists noticed the signals that were causing this and started a resistance movement. And that's a fucking dump of information right at the beginning. It's pretty It's pretty dense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the broadcast continues. The poor underclass are growing, or the poor and underclass are growing. Racial justice and human rights are non-existent. Uh, they have created a repressive society, and we are their unwitting accomplices. Again, super dense, but very intriguing. Um, having not seen the movie before, what did you think this was all about when you first saw it? Anal probes. Fair enough. <laughs> During this broadcast, Nada notices a blind street preacher, again, who is mouthing the words of the broadcast as if they were from a script he had read already or maybe written the signal fades but returns in time to state we have been lulled into a trance they have made us indifferent to ourselves to others we are focused only on our own game please understand they are safe as long as they are not discovered this is their primary method of survival keep us asleep keep us selfish keep us sedated i totally remember that line from the very first time i saw this movie um I was very unnerved. I didn't really know who Roddy Piper was at the time. I didn't know what kind of movie I was watching. I was very intrigued and very uneasy. I was also six. I don't know if I'd give this movie to a six-year-old, but sure. 
Yeah. It is like for a kid, man, this scary shit, dude. I feel like it, as as and I apologize if I underestimate your intelligence as a six year old, but I feel like some of the thematic sequences and plot um, uh, uh, points in this movie might kind of go over a six year old's head. Oh, definitely. Keep in mind, though, the first movie I remember seeing is uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street, right? So I was pretty uh, pretty into horror, but only visual horror. I wasn't into people talking about horrible things going on. So, like, I'm used to seeing a monster on screen. I'm not used to seeing people being super uneasy and nervous and terrified without having that, like, that one figure to be terrified of. Bullshit, man. The first movie I remember seeing was Land Before Time. And when Littlefoot's mother gets it, oh, oh man. Come on, man. What? It's fucking Bambi all over again. Yeah, except... you. Wait, you saw... Okay. You saw The Land Before Time before you saw Bambi? I don't even think I've seen Bambi to this day. Oh, shit. Speaking of Land Before Time, I did see that in theaters. And right after I left, the theater exploded. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a story. Yeah, man. The popcorn machine caught on fire and blew out the entire back wall of the theater. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> uh, I'd like to clarify. We kind of discussed this last week as well. When I came to Canada, there was a lot of media that I had just missed. So my entry point and my understanding of English kind of started a little bit later than yours. Okay. So I didn't see some of the older movies right of way. You know what I mean? Like you didn't grow up with Croatian Bambi? I don't recall any of that. Um, okay. But what I'm saying is, you know what I mean? Like when I came to Canada, anything that would have come out like just before that, I either wouldn't have seen or if I saw it right away, I didn't have a grasp of English and I was still yeah. kind of figuring it out. All right. So you just knew that dead dinosaurs are bad. It was sad, man. It was really sad. Yeah, it is. Uh, I'm not going to lie, man. I fucking cried, too. Yeah, yeah. So. Wasn't that also 1988, 87? I don't know. Let's just move forward. We're talking. Fine. We're not talking about this anymore. We're talking about they live. <laughs> All right. Uh, another nameless drifter, the great Buck Flowers, uh, shrugs off the message, providing the viewer that the common belief among the drifters is that this is all the ramblings of a crazy man. Uh, the whole while, Nada is still watching the preacher. Uh, Gilbert goes to talk to the preacher, eventually leading him across the street and into a low-lit church. The next day, Nada confronts Gilbert about the church. He shrugs off the intrigue. Broadcast pops up on the televisions again. The pirate's signal isn't strong enough to fully break through. The other signal needs to be found and cut off so they can spread the truth. So, Nada yeah. is questioning Gilbert um, because he's such a, a, a optimistic person. <laughs> when he saw the very conspicuous act of Gilbert helping a, a blind uh, street preacher into yeah. a church. <laughs> I yeah. Don't, I don't think that's the kind of thing I would question and be like, Oh yeah, he's blind. He is a he is a preacher, so a oh. church makes sense. And having this guy who runs this, you know, community to help 
unfortunate people, <laughs> helping him across a street and into the church is not the kind of thing that I would raise an eyebrow at. Something doesn't add up, man. Yeah, yeah something doesn't add up. <laughs> I, I, I like the character of Gilbert in this. Um, he doesn't really play a massive role, but I feel like he does kind of tie the whole story together. I'm not saying anything against that. I just mean, like, this is where, like, I don't get the optimism from Nada. He's a very untrusting person. Yeah, he is very pessimistic and mm -hmm. questions everything. I know my Except kind. Except America. I know my kind, my man. I know my kind. <laughs> uh, Nada sees Gilbert sneak into the church again, and this time decides to investigate himself. Uh, choir is singing loud and clear. Entering the building, he finds a makeshift laboratory. Chemicals cover a desk, and next to them lay numerous pairs of sunglasses. Painted on the wall, the room is They Live, We Sleep. Investigating further, Nada discovers that the singing is just a recording with the volume cranked up to disguise the meeting of individuals inside. Uh, awesome intrigue for me at this point. Um, very good storytelling, building up, uh, like I said, intrigue. Uh, I, I, at this pretty, point... Um, mm -hmm actually thought that the resistance people like gilbert and the street preacher preacher were part... street preacher <laughs> shut up man well street peaches so this is the last episode of the podcast <laughs> um tune in next week to street peaches are you with done? your host okay anyway i thought that they were part of the villain group um this early on. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. So the homeless are the enemy, is what you're saying? Not not the homeless, necessarily. I, That's a very pessimistic outlook. Unrealistic. <sighs> this is going to be a tough episode. Fine. Are you going to let me get a word in at all? Yeah, sure. Go for it. So people like Gilbert and the street preacher, who almost seem to be kind of... Um, hurting people into these shanty towns seemed like almost as if they were you know herding cattle uh right they're getting them oh. out of these camps for a reason they're finding the uh, excuse the terminology because it's not meant to be as harsh but like the rejects and the outsiders that if they were killed or feasted on or whatever the hell their plan is that they wouldn't be missed right like we're getting right um, I I totally missed that they're recruiting people into the encampments. Where like is that covered or is that an assumption? That was an assumption, right? Like at this okay. point, I'm looking at the situation. I'm looking at the the like the intrigue that they're building up, and I'm thinking, you know, because our introduction to it is Frank telling, you know, um, Nada about it. But then you see it, and it's a you know they talk about these less fortunate people, these employees, these people that need a, a place to live. But they're also people from kind of all walks of life that are, you know, removed from their situations. So in a situation like this, if you have a movie where, say, humans are meant to be slaves or uh, um, cattle, right, this would be the, the, this would make the most sense on where to start. The people that wouldn't be missed if they were to be the first wave of those gone, nobody would bat an eyelash at it, right? Yeah. Yeah, I totally see where you're coming from. Yeah. I, I, I do want to say, too, though, that this is probably the most realistic 
representation of the types of people you would see who are dealing with hard times and in like homeless encampments because normally um when we see these these people in in film represented in film it's like you're old and like middle-aged to older alcoholic men um just you know playing up stereotypes but in this movie you've got people of all ages genders um family i would say families exactly like everybody dealing with hard times and i think that really really helps the viewer kind of embrace everybody as like not just like not as protagonist but the encampment as a group of protagonists even though we don't really get to see a lot of them we we kind of take them in as a family Mm -hmm. oh it kind of went off a little bit there sorry man that's okay i mean you just asked me what my first impression was and i thought it was going to be like you know the leaders of these camps uh, yeah would have the the that would have been of these camps kind of like rise up against them yeah, it would be a very interesting film. I, I didn't get that, but that's... I, I would love to watch that movie. Anyway, moving on. Uh, the pirate broadcast has been emitting from the church. Uh, Gilbert, the man from the television, and a few others are discussing what to do next since they can only get their transmission out for a few seconds before it gets jammed. The man from the television... I don't know what his name is. I just keep calling him the man from the television. Says the uh, only thing they can do is get their shipment out on the streets. Nada finds a secret room filled with sealed cardboard boxes. He replaces a fake panel he knocked down and tries to escape, but is stopped by the blind preacher. When the holy man believes that Nada isn't a threat, he just lets him leave. I really like the preacher here. Great actor. Mm-hmm. Great character. It's uh, not easy to do a portrayal of a blind man. Um, yeah. Or blind person. Sorry, I should be more gender sensitive. Um, but he does a good job of it. Yeah, does a great job. Uh, a helicopter appears overhead. Uh, honestly, I thought that was a really strange place for one to be. Nobody heard it approaching. It was just kind of there. Uh, Buck Flowers lets us know that violence on the streets is picking up. Frank confronts Nada, who is watching the church with binoculars that he just got from another homeless kid who had binoculars. <laughs> we found <laughs> We found the peeping Tom of the camp. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Gilbert's loading uh, boxes he saw into the vehicle. Uh, Frank tells Nada to forget it. It isn't their business and tells Nada to mind his own. Uh, He's not having it. (laughs) I find the scene a little interesting because Frank sees Nada looking through the binoculars and goes over to tell him, you know... (laughs) I have a job now. I don't want to be getting involved in stuff. You should leave this alone. But it's like, Frank didn't need to come here. He could have just left it alone. Yeah. Also, Nada was already watching the church before. He doesn't need binoculars. It's across the street from where he's standing. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it's pointless. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a it's a spying technique you see. Mm-hmm. Inconspicuous. Lets you see through those stained glass windows <laughs> easier. <laughs> but it's like I can't see twenty feet ahead of me. I better use these binocs. Yep. Um, at nighttime, with uh, binoculars still pressed to his face, not a spots a helicopter over the church because that totally snuck up. Did the dude even go to work that day? No. 
<laughs> just sat there with but he just sat there an entire day yeah and nobody but frank thought to be like because it's not like he's hidden nobody from the church was like hey man you looking at our church all day you walk out the front door of that church the first thing you're gonna see is nada with binoculars across the street staring at you yep <laughs> Like, he's not hiding, he's in plain view, and he's across the fucking street. Like, (laughs) I don't know if this is an error in the writing, or if it was an intentional humor, but there's no way anybody would not be able to see see Nada. Uh, Well, they didn't have binoculars, so so they didn't see him 20 feet away. Yeah, in a world where everyone can only see three feet ahead of themselves. Yep. I'm glad you're finally getting it, man. We can move yeah. forward. It, it only took me since 1988, but I'm, I get it now. I understand. You are a little slow on the uptake. Street peaches. Uh, the people inside flee as police cars <laughs> arrive. <laughs> Sirens wailing. The SWAT team also arrives. This looks like it could become a war zone. And oh man, does it. People across the street in the encampment are stunned as more and more police arrive. Bulldozers drive onto the scene and makeshift huts are raised to the ground. It has turned into a full-on assault to remove people. The homeless are crushed and beaten. Anything to get them away. A lot of them are not involved in any way. They're just homeless people who now don't even have their shanty town. Yeah. No, like I said, it's a full-on assault. Like, everybody there is a victim. Yep. Everything is crushed. People just trying to, like, survive. Sadly, this... I don't know. I don't know if you've seen this on, like, news at all, like, over the years. But I've seen this happen on television numerous times. And I feel like Carpenter really captured it in this movie. I'm just going to say okay, and I don't want to get too real on this episode today, dude. Fair enough. That's too much. No, okay. Nada evades them long enough to witness the brutal murders of the man from the television and the blind preacher. He rescues a kid from hiding as yet more police arrive and pursue. I see this kid is using the Nada school of hiding techniques of I'm just crouched next to this wall. Yeah, pretend you're invisible and no one will see you. Yep. They sneak into an abandoned building through a window, and Nada tells the kid to stay with a family who are also hiding inside. Can, can we first mention the guy who they see? I don't know if he's smoking or whatever. It was like, oh yeah, he doesn't give a fuck about anything. Join the party, and he's just chilling there. Oh yeah, he's completely whacked out, man. Mm-hmm. The next morning, a few of the drifters and destitute wander the destroyed remains of what was once their only notion of home. You wrote those words specifically, you jerk. <laughs> what? what? I did. I did write these. And these are my words. What was wrong with it? <laughs> Try to make it sound so sad. <laughs> it is. I'm giving more weight to it, man. You sure are. Fuck. Fine. Sorry. Nada goes back to the church and sees that the interior has been worked over hard, as if somebody was looking for something. Kicks open the false wall he found earlier and grabs a box from inside. He sneaks away and down the street. In an alley, he rips open the tape and peers inside. Knock off Ray-Bans? Yeah. I was was totally confused at this point, but super curious the first time I saw it. 
I was loving this movie. I love that he doesn't even believe what he sees because he's digging through the box even deeper to try and find if there's yeah. something under the layer of glasses and just like no go. Yeah. Confused, he hides the box in the bottom of a trash can and walks out onto the city sidewalks. And and that's what I found kind of confusing. Like he didn't know what he had, but he still hit it. Like he was looking for something, as you said, and it was just sunglasses but he still took the time to hide it which i found weird i mean obviously the glasses are a major plot device but it seems like a weird move for the character at this point i think he was just not content with what he had discovered in there and he was kind of putting it away because it's like oh i gotta i gotta investigate this further later type thing yeah uh he puts the glasses on and everything is in black and white Billboards reveal secret messages. What normally looks like a computer ad now reveals the Stark Order Obey. An ad for the Caribbean actually states marry and reproduce. These subliminal advertisements are absolutely everywhere. What was your take on this reveal? I liked it. I loved it. I thought it was amazing. Also, like I said, I was six. So I started wondering if that was real. Oh. Yeah, well, what can I say? When I was that young, I thought Candyman was real. Candyman is real. No, no, don't do that, you mm-hmm. son of a bitch. Yeah. Wait till we go to Green and Green. Anyway, moving on. We won't cover that movie until maybe another week or two. We'll never uncover that movie or cover that yeah. movie. You can yeah. you can cover that movie. It'll be the first episode you do with somebody that's not me. Candyman. No, nope. fuck off, man. Street Peaches. Apples. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, what's worse than discovering that you've been tricked by every bit of media you see? Discovering that not all people are even human. What about that reveal? Had you seen that alien design before? Yeah, I think I had seen like just some sh- screenshots and trailers of the movie. Um, okay, I can't, I can't really put myself in the shoes of somebody who had no idea going into it. Um, yeah. Because that's kind of one of the negatives of seeing such an old movie is that I guess yeah. there's some imagery that you'll you'll still know even though you hadn't seen the movie. Yeah, and any movie that has any sort of surprise that's over 20 years old, you're, you're probably going to have been let in on the secret. Mm-hmm. Um, I did like uh, how Nada kept putting the glasses on and off while looking at that one guy by the newspaper stand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then uh, when the newspaper clerk walks up, uh, the money in his hand actually says, this is your God. Uh, pretty heavy handed political commentary by Carpenter at this point. Um, we're also shown that uh, there are invisible speakers atop streetlights commanding us all to sleep. Now, this I don't uh, understand. I don't understand how putting on sunglasses changes your hearing, but that's, I'm down. That's what I was going to say. I can see if you know, putting them on, let you see the speakers. Yeah. But how did they make you hear them? I have no idea, but I am totally down for the uh, audio cameo by John Carpenter. Oh, was that John Carpenter? Yeah. Uh, I saw him play in Toronto on my birthday, and he played the theme music to every movie he did. And when 
the band played the theme to they live he even like put on the glasses and did this like weird creepy old man dance that was fucking hilarious but totally into it he was a really good sport i've always heard he was a like a really gruff mean shitty old man but he just looked like an old dude who was having a blast and smiled and laughed a lot so i think i i heard wrong info i mean john carpenter's awesome you can be a jerk and also have a blast that's they're not mutually exclusive dude no i know but he was interacting with everybody in the front row like people throwing up like high fives and shit like he's normally like when i would see interviews with him he seems really closed off but he was not having any of that that night he was just having a blast Eh, maybe he was drunk leave him alone john carpenter's a great great old man happy all smiles that's why he makes such uplifting movies that have nothing to do with reaganomics uh he (laughs) he sees more and more aliens pretending to be part of our society before wandering into a supermarket and snapping at one of the aliens inadvertently alarming one of them or sorry inadvertently alarming them of his awareness uh, she speaks into her watch. I have one that can see. Nada looks around and sees other aliens doing the same and providing his physical description. Outside, he's forced into an alley, an alley by aliens posing as police who demand to know where he got the glasses. They also say he looks as shitty to them as they do to him. Interesting. Uh, they try to get him to go quietly, but he beats the shit out of them and steals a gun and then kills both of them. What a... What did they do? They, they, they didn't really do anything. <laughs> like the one cop says, this would be a lot easier if we don't have to splatter your brains or whatever, right? Yeah, he threatens him well, and then gets murdered. He says he doesn't want to, to hurt him. Then says, like, you stumbled upon something here. Maybe we can work it to both of our advantages. Why don't we go somewhere and talk? I'm like, this guy's being pretty reasonable. Murder. Yep. It is a very, I'm okay with that, though. It's a very important lesson here that uh, John Carpenter wants you to kill anybody that doesn't look like you. Hey. No, no, he's just a jolly old man. Thank you. He grabs a shotgun from the squad car, and then we get the most famous scene of the movie, the bank scene. Uh, I'm not really going to go into it that much because I'm pretty sure everybody knows this scene of the movie. Uh, great line of dialogue. Well, I guess it's more of a monologue. Um, and just unloads his shotgun on every alien he sees. Nobody, like, none of the humans know what the hell is happening and are fleeing in terror. Um, I'm assuming you had seen this at some point in your life without knowing where it was from. Yep. Yep. Uh, he leaves the bank and shoots an invisible drone. I don't know. A lot. Uh, there's a lot of good sci-fi ideas in the movie, but they're just kind of like brushed over. Uh, he hides in a parking garage and abducts Holly and Meg Foster, who we've covered three times now. Yep. Uh, on her way to her car. She is his only escape plan. He instructs her to take them to her place. I... <laughs> I don't like Meg Foster. I'm not going to disagree with you, man. Um, I feel like she brings down everything we've seen her in. Yep. Um, I wanted to compliment uh, Roddy Piper here. I really liked the interaction with her when he's questioning her, like, are you married? And she says, yes. And he's just like, please don't lie to me. 
Um, yeah. And then he, you know, says that he's sorry that he has to do this. And she even has a decent line where she's like, you you have a gun, you're not sorry type thing. Um, but, like, I thought, I thought Roddy Piper did a really good job in this scene. He does a great job in most scenes, man. But, yeah, this was uh, primo acting on his behalf, for sure. Uh, Nada apologizes to Holly yeah, for what he had to do. This is what we were talking about. Uh, he tries to tell her what's happening, and she straight up won't believe him. After more chit-chat, she tells Nada that she's the assistant program director at Cable 54. Nada freaks and tells her that they're trying to send weird signals through TV sets, and she smashes him in the back of the head with a bottle sending him crashing through a massive window and falling more than 20 feet to the rocky hillside below he comes out pretty unscathed for somebody who just got like a roundhouse wine bottle to the head that should have killed him alone and then fell 20 feet and the way the camera shot it like head first yep um going through the window though he should be like cut to shit and he's not I really like the visual of it. The the like the spin was done really well. The camera angle from oh like, perfect Hollywood stunt. Yeah, from above, um, like it shows the range of movement really well. The cut to the outside to show him falling, really really well done. Oh yeah, it's a very competent film, man. Like I have no complaints with how it's shot, like audio, anything like that. Like it, it's a beautiful, entertaining film. Even though that had nothing to do with what you were just saying. Mm-hmm. Yes. Anyway. Yes. Well done. Street Peaches. Uh, she calls the police and somehow Nada is able to stagger away as the police approach the neighborhood. Holly spots his sunglasses on her floor and Nada finds an alley to sleep in for that night. He looks freezing in that alley. I, I don't know, man. I've never been in California where it was cold enough to shiver in an early evening especially los angeles i don't know if you're shivering that hard um i'm trying to think of something clever to say here but i got nothing i don't know it just seems weird almost like this movie should have been set somewhere else um like 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 denver (laughs) yeah Uh, the next morning, Nada goes to meet Frank at the construction site, and Frank, having seen the news, wants absolutely nothing to do with him and makes him leave. Goes to the back alley where he stashed the sunglasses, but the garbage is empty. The garbage truck that just emptied the bins is still in the alleyway. He opens the back and climbs in, desperately searching through the garbage. For some reason, the driver dumps all of the trash on the ground and drives away. Yeah, you can hear the... like. Well, two drivers, right? Like, there's, I guess, yeah. a guy who was driving the truck and a guy who was loading it. Yep. They're, like, arguing as if, like, one of them is dumping it out to prove a point. And I have they, no idea. And then they just leave it? And that doesn't... It feels like something's missing here. It... Uh, I don't know. I mean... Yeah, it just doesn't fit. In a rather well-put-together movie, this doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, Nada finds a few pairs of the sunglasses and walks back the way he came. Frank appears in the alley and gives Nada a week's worth of pay and tells him to stay away from him. Nada tells Frank he has to put the glasses on. Frank denies. Now we get the most epic 5 minute and 20 second fight scene in film history where they beat the shit out of each other. Hard shots, cheap shots, wrestling moves, weapons, everything. Okay, so a few thoughts here. Okay. 
The first one is much like when Nada had the binoculars. Frank brings him money and then says, I want to, I don't want to get involved. It's like, you, you didn't have to bring him money. You didn't have to be involved. It's like Frank has this tendency to involve himself and then say, I don't want to be involved. Yeah. <laughs> the other one is, I loved the fight um, that they had between the two. If it was maybe two minutes shorter, it goes on way too long, in my opinion. It was supposed to be 20 seconds. I'm okay with it being long, <laughs> right? I like... Like I like the idea that they're trying to show the the like stubbornness of both sides, but you could have conveyed that much earlier, where there's multiple times that both of them kind of stop and reinitiate the fight, but it just went mm-hmm. on way too long. Um, multiple bits of trivia here: um, the fight was originally rehearsed in the uh, backyard of the production office. Uh, for the film uh, and it was supposed to be 20 seconds but they just kept going and Carpenter loved it and uh, with the actual fight um, it was all legit fighting except for shots to the face and groin I could only imagine how sore these guys would have been the next day or the day after yeah that's um, that's a real dedication to your craft you know what else is dedicated to their craft? That our park? friend, our friend Tim at Knights and Nerds. Why don't we hear an ad from him? <laughs> Knights and Nerds is not just an actual play D and D podcast with an original campaign being played by a group of friends who tolerate each other. It's also a podcast where I, the dungeon master, talk about how I'm adapting to the choices the players make as well as revealing to you, the audience, the complex story and deadly twists that I have in store for my players. Find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or at knightsandnerds.com. Eventually, Nada forces sunglasses onto Frank's face, and he sees the proverbial light. The boys book a room in a rundown hotel to hide and rest. They argue about the next move and eventually agree upon trying to find the people who made the glasses. I'm really impressed with Keith David's uh, fighting ability, I guess. Yeah, I never really thought about that. Well, he, mean, he was taking, like, wrestling moves and everything. Oh, no, I just meant his ability to beat the shit out of Roddy Piper, because apparently Roddy Piper was more worse for wear after a fight with him than being thrown out a window 20 feet to the ground. Very good point. He was beat to shit. That's right. He took that wine bottle to the head, went through a glass window, fell 20 feet, and rolled down a rock face. And he looked worse after a five-minute fight with Keith David. Fuck, man. Didn't even think about that. That guy's a monster. Mm -hmm. That night, Nada relays to Frank horrible stories of an abusive upbringing. Frank thinks that maybe the aliens have been watching the horrible actions of humans and decided to prey upon them. That's surprisingly deep for this movie. Frank really returns to the hotel. This um, for Nada's character, uh, it didn't really add anything to me, um, or in my mind, to like his motivations or his personality. Um, yeah, I-, I think this was honestly a lot of Piper putting himself into the movie. Um, he did have a horribly abusive upbringing and I know that he had a really difficult time 
uh, filming scenes with the supposed homeless people. Actually, some of them were homeless people who were hired and paid in food um, because Piper himself lived on the streets for a while. So uh, it was very real for him. I'm just looking at it from a movie standpoint, and it doesn't, it's not required for plot progression, but. No, I honestly think that Piper just kind of went on a, a mini rant and they just filmed it and left it in. It's shorter than the fight scene, so it's not a big deal. Yeah, exactly. But I think I think you're right, though. It doesn't really do anything for the character, necessarily. It doesn't do anything for the story. Um, it, it is just a very real scene for two characters that it almost feels like it belongs in a different film. Yeah, I mean, I could see if we were in some way built up in the movie thus far to question Roddy Piper or Nada's. It's, a, it's tough when he doesn't have an actual name. Um, yeah. If we were kind of built up to question his motivations or be unsure why he's doing this. But I mean, yeah. the plot itself kind of just made it that the situation was his motivation to keep doing what he's doing. His eyes were open to this completely different world. This wasn't really needed for that. Yeah. Yeah, he got thrown into a, a new shit show, basically. So bringing this up has nothing to do with the character's uh, trajectory. Mm-hmm. Wow, I didn't expect us to pick apart that one part of this movie. It's not. like the, it's, it's fine. It's done well. Um, oh, yeah. Piper acts it Unnecessary. Well. I'm just kind of looking at it from a critical eye and just didn't seem too necessary. Agreed. Frank returns to the hotel with a bag of groceries. Gilbert spying on him and follows him upstairs. He makes himself known and gives Frank an address of a secret meeting they're having. He says the world needs a wake-up call and they're going to phone it in. How did Gilbert know where they were? I have no idea. I also don't know why he's being so secretive. Like He's in the room, which is like a deli, the main floor of this building. And people can see him, yet he's still trying to hide behind a wall. Ah, but those like, people didn't have binoculars. I guess, yeah. I forgot the three-foot rule. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. At the meeting, uh, the boys are given new contact lenses to replace the sunglasses they've been wearing. Gilbert tells them that the police, who are mostly human, uh, even though the police we've seen aren't, uh, have been told that the resistance is just a bunch of communists trying to take down the government. He further explains how the aliens are recruiting by buying loyalty. They go to a crazy stocked ammo table and grab any weapon they want. Another man at the table explains how the watches the aliens wear are communicators and teleportation devices. Which seems like a little much to me, but it's a sci-fi movie, I get it. We kind of put that together when we had a scene earlier in the liquor store. Or was it? It wasn't a a supermarket. A supermarket. Where, like, every alien there was conveying to their watch that roddy piper could see them and was and then one of them disappears yeah like we got that the meeting commences and gilbert tells the crowd that they believe the signal the aliens are using is coming from krda the tv station a voice in the crowd says the station is clear and the signal must be emitting from somewhere else and that voice belongs to holly who has also joined the group she can't she can't look like a hero or a good guy or anything man like there's something about her eyes that just screams villain to me. Spoilers, dude. No, no. I mean, in every movie, she looks like the villain. Yeah, I've seen her in three movies, to my recollection. So, 
I guess, yeah. And then two of the three, she is a villain. So, yeah, I guess that works. Mm, which two is it going to be? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> She's happy to see Nada and apologizes, saying she didn't know. She's An explosion. Happy to see Nada? That was her happy face? That's her happy face. Oh, it's also her sad face, her angry face, her constipated face. Uh, constipated face? Yeah, it's her buying groceries face. It's her skiing face. It's her O face. It's her, oh God. It's her interdimensional travel while working for the Dark Lord Skeletor face? Yes. It's her marrying a serial killer face? I think you're getting it. I understand. <laughs> An explosion b- blows out a wall of the safe house and a gunfight erupts between police and the resistance. The fuzz obliterates half the group while the others scramble in confusion. Um, I also, I think this is the second time I've ever seen Al Leong play anything other than an evil henchman. Um, I don't know if you know Al Leong. Mm-mm, no. No. Um, Stop he played, setting me up like this, man. He, well, he played gang. He's classic. He's a classic. Hey, it's that guy villain. Uh, he played um, Genghis Khan in. Uh, Bill and Ted in the first one. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Um, oh, okay. I know you've seen him before because he was in Last Action Hero. Uh, remember at the beginning after um, Jack Slater's favorite cousin's house is blown up? You get chased by the gang in the pickup truck? Okay. Yeah, Ali Young's one of those guys. Okay. I mean, I'll take your word for it, but you know I'm not going to know it by name. I'd have to see his face, and then I'd be like, oh, yeah, that guy. Yeah, and you still wouldn't know because you're a fucking liar. All right. Uh, here we get the strangest shootout yet. Nada and Frank are backed into an alley by the police. They're heavily outnumbered and outgunned, and somehow the police miss every shot they take, yet our heroes almost never miss. You ever- At one point, Nada's just spraying bullets from a machine gun limp-wristedly and taking out all of them. Yep. Yeah, yeah. You're saying, did I ever wonder what? Do you ever wonder what a lot of the stormtroopers look like under their armor? Aliens from They Live? Yep. I get you. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. Street peaches. Street peaches. (laughs) Sorry. I choked on coffee. Um... They use the watch to escape through a portal to another location. I guess it was just like a hole through the ground. They dropped into a tunnel. Uh, a pretty cool service tunnel for the movie, though. Uh, they sneak up on a security booth. And what is that security guard holding, Sandro? Uh, a fucking PKE meter from Ghostbusters. Uh, Did you not watch Ghostbusters? Of course I've watched Ghostbusters. And you don't know what a PKE meter is? Yeah, I just don't remember seeing it in this. Yeah, it's the what's what the security guards use as a communicator. Oh, okay. I mean, I just remember their ridiculous enthusiasm about apparently winning a fight. Yeah, well, they destroyed the resistance. Oh, they won a major battle. Yes. The destruction of the resistance is that major battle. <sighs> Anyways... <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Nada and Frank stumble upon a fancy dinner in a ballroom where humans and aliens are celebrating their successes. Uh, they're even welcomed by the uh, the TV drifter, Buck Flowers, clean cut and in a tuxedo. 
He's also been recruited. Uh, why? I don't know. Uh, I don't know what aliens would benefit from recruiting a homeless man. He's got a good uh, voice. He does have a good voice. And I think he always plays a homeless man. Uh, and he's been in numerous John Carpenter films. Can't think of anything uh, else he was in. So He decides to show our heroes the rest of the facility. We can see a really cool looking spaceport that can teleport individuals to different planets. Uh, the tour continues to the actual Cable 54 TV studio where there's a live news broadcast. Nada and Frank shoot the two guards. Uh, Buck tries to reason with them, saying that everything the aliens are doing is just business. Frank is disgusted. They break into the set and shoot every alien they see. And next, they have to make it to the roof to stop the signal. Uh, the whole sequence, I thought, was pretty intense. Uh, two of them sneaking through the halls and taking out soldiers feels very much like a level of a video game. Uh, I kind of thought you would tune into that. Did you feel the same way? I mean, honestly, I didn't feel video game as much as just like 80s action, right? Like, Oh, really? There's a lot of... Well, yeah, I mean... A lot there's of, a lot of 80s action tropes, you're right. But yeah. I don't know. I think I, mean, I guess I'm just more so thinking about GTA Five heist missions now. Uh, those weren't they, in 1988, that's for sure. No, definitely. Damn it. Although, hopefully the next game will be like a Vice City thing and we'll... We'll talk GTA in the 80s later. Uh, they find Holly on the 19th floor and continue their ascent. Nada is in the lead, takes out three soldiers in the stairwell and runs up the remaining few steps to the roof. As soon as he's out of sight, Holly pulls a gun and shoots Frank in the head. I don't remember this ever happening in the movie. Well, it doesn't happen on camera, right? That's It, it could be easily missed if you look away when she pulls the gun. Yeah. But you hear the gunshot, and you never see Frank again. Yeah. Uh, honestly, like, I've seen this movie numerous times, and I don't remember that happening. Maybe we just blocked it out. But that's... What a disrespectful way to take out one of the like, best characters in your movie. Yeah, I was unhappy with how unceremoniously he was taken out. Yeah, just thrown out altogether. Nada finds the contraption emitting the signal and is ready to destroy it, but Holly has her gun on him. Helicopters have the spotlight on Nada and tell him to surrender. Before they can open fire, though, Nada shoots Holly, destroys the signal, and dies in a hail of bullets. Also terrible, terrible death. Uh, with the signal gone, the veil of illusion is lifted, and we get a comedic reveal as all humans can see the aliens in their midst, on their televisions, and even in their beds. Had to get that credits. nude shot in there. It's terrible. I don't like the ending of this movie at all. Yeah, it's um, it it feels like they didn't know what to do, so they just threw something at it and ended it. Yeah. Because honestly, I I feel like there was a really good build up through the entire film up until the point where Frank dies. I mean, you could have had the same kind of type of events happen after Frank, or not Frank, Nada dies, but mm -hmm. not on camera. Like, as he's laying on the ground, you can just pan to, like, this, like the, the sky view type thing mm -hmm. and just have some audio clips in the back indicating that things have been revealed and then cut to credits. The yep. showing of it almost kind of cheapens it. Yeah, well, also having Frank die, you're like, holy shit. And then Nada dies, you're like, oh my god. And then you end on comedy? Yeah, that's why I'm saying, like, if you yeah, just had the audio of, like, 
you know, strategically record audio that would reveal that the, you know, aliens are being exposed. Exactly. And then cut to credits. You leave it more open-ended. You don't go to the comedy and, you know, you can have a sad end for your hero, but that he accomplished his goal. Yeah, the only way you could really end this movie with comedy and have it work is if the comedy is tied in with one of the characters we've been following the whole time, and it's not. Nope. Everybody we've been following, even one of the villains, are dead. So, this is... It's just nonsensical. It it ruins the end of the movie. Oh, well, the drifter made it. Buck Flowers, yeah. Mm. He just disappears at one point, and we don't see him again. (laughs) Overall, how do you feel about this? There's a lot of problems with this movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, there are. And There's a lot of strengths, though. Oh, by no means am I saying that I didn't enjoy watching it. There's just a lot of problems with it. My biggest yeah. question, however, is... What was the problem with the aliens? Like, what were they doing that was so wrong? Yeah. I watched it twice, uh, and I can't figure it out. There's no mention yeah. of them using humans as slaves, using them as food. They are simply setting up commerce on our planet and financially benefiting those that join them. Maybe- yeah, they are. They like hum like mankind. Humans are referred to as livestock at one point, so that really implied to me that if they weren't eating them. That they were like selling them to somebody else that would or something else that would eat them. This is where but they're sorry. Sorry, go ahead. This is where another problem comes in with the ending is that the very final scene, which is the pointless nude scene, is one of the aliens having sex with one of the humans. Not really yes. something you'd do with your livestock. No. I don't know how aliens work, man. I'm trying to think you know, I watched the movie twice, I'm trying to figure out like what is so bad with them right yeah they destroy that shanty town and kill a bunch of innocent people but if you really think about it it's because there was a resistance of people trying to expose and murder them you have people like roddy piper well, they weren't trying to murder them they're trying to expose them well i mean when you see guys like roddy piper who the first thing he does when he can see them is blow away as many as he can yeah. um you can understand why they would be scared of things like resistance groups trying to expose them yeah was well, it it's it's if you look up any trivia on it, it it's blatant that this is carpenter's take on uh reaganomics which i don't i haven't really looked into i was super young at the time so i didn't really get that when i was watching the movie but i was just watching a professional wrestler shoot aliens all, um, all you needed to do was add like one line that kind of indicated that, you know, once they make the entire population complacent, they'll be easy to, like, suck out their power or something. Or Yeah. And I'm sure that existed in some cut and that something was edited out. Or maybe it was mentioned in some way and we both just missed it repeatedly. I don't know. I, I noticed after the first viewing that I couldn't find out why the aliens were bad. Other no. than, you know, the scene uh with the camp which could have been more self-defense than anything um well, you basically just making everybody mindless i mean okay right like 
You know what I mean? Com- complacency. So yeah. I noticed that in, and it's fine if that's the commentary you want, but just make it a, a thing where it's like, if we make them complacent, we can enslave them. Boom. Right. Um, yeah. I noticed that in the first viewing. So when I went into the second viewing, that's what I was really looking for. And I still couldn't find it. Mm-hmm. I don't know, man. Anyway, I, um, I just like watching a movie about a pro wrestler killing aliens. Yeah, you already said that part. Um, yeah, it was based on a short story, though, Eight O'Clock in the Morning by Ray Nelson, which I haven't read, but I really want to. Well, why don't we get into some statistics? What do you got for numbers, my friend? Uh, estimated budget of four million with a box office of thirteen million. Not, uh, not a bad return. Yeah, not bad at all. Uh, debuted at number one, even to the surprise of Carpenter, who still doesn't understand it. Uh, it was shit on by critics, like all of his movies were, until they were all considered cult classics. Uh, for ratings, IMDb has it at 7.3 out of 10. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes, the tomato meter is at 85% for the critics and the audience score of 79%. Uh, I agree with all those. I think it's it's not an amazing film, but it's pretty fucking good. I got no beef with them. Yep. Um, moving into awards. Yeah, I guess. Oh, no. Those numbers flew by pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, like, we have, there's nothing you say. Like, <laughs> it cost a little. It made a lot. And it was favorably reviewed. And I think we're all pretty stoked about that. Um, yeah. I will say, though, starting off with worst performance. You are the one to start that. Yep. I I want to say that we're going to have the same pick. Uh, I don't know, though. I picked Meg Foster. The Meg Foster Award goes to Meg Foster. Yeah. Uh, she acts the same in every fucking role I've ever seen her in. And it's not good any time. I don't know how she gets roles. I don't know if it's hypnotizing people with those icy blue eyes but I've never liked her in any role I've ever seen her in. Actually, that's a lie. I did like her in Lords of Salem, but she was playing a crusty old witch, so. I mean, this is the second time I've picked her for worst uh, performance. Uh, I think it's the only two-time winner so far, but you've also picked her now. Um, So that's got to speak volumes, And, and I agree with you. Like, her performance was maybe less offensive in something like Masters of the Universe, where she's playing a character that is kind of emotionless. But when you see a role like this, she's the same emotionless character. And, you know, like, that's why you say, oh, she's happy to see Nada. It's like, is she? Yeah, because she kind of goes from, like, foe to ally to foe. Does she, And, And you don't feel any different at any point. You're like, oh, that's Holly. There's Holly again. Yeah, man. Uh, Oh, Holly's got a gun. Yeah, I think this is a pretty easy pick here, dude. I'm curious to know your best performance, though. I'm surprised by my best performance, actually. Yeah, who'd you pick? I picked Roddy Piper as Nada. Yeah? Why is that? Um, Maybe part of it was expectation, but... 
he was so much better than I thought he was going to be. So good. I thought you were going for Keith David. You know, I was tempted to, but I couldn't deny Roddy Piper. There is so much that you can say about his performance in the positive light. Like, things like the humor and the one-liners, no problem. I know that from him. I wasn't surprised. But even, like, expressions. Like, when he's walking around the town discovering all the messages like you can see it on his face and i didn't expect that from him and it's done very well he's so good what what uh who did you have oh fucking guess uh uh george flowers yes good old buck no it's definitely roddy piper man as not a he fucking kicked ass in this movie he quit the wwf to do this movie like he straight up quit wrestling to do this movie he agreed to do it and vince was behind him until he kind of started looking at what the movie was told him to like turn down the offer and that he would find piper uh, a better role in a different movie and roddy just said no and quit well i mean he he earned it he was in he was great in this movie so good so good uh, the first time a wrestler was ever in, uh, uh, was ever the star in a number one movie in the theaters opening weekend. That's crazy. Uh, yeah, he thinks, or he thought, uh, R.I.P. Roddy Piper, that uh, he was the one to open the door for other wrestlers to uh, the world of acting in Hollywood films. I could see it. Yeah, me too. He killed it in this. He was so good. I mean, if he had done a movie that ended up being really shitty or his performance was not good, it might have actually delayed that transition uh, even yeah. further. Uh, mm-hmm. No, he did a great job. Um, okay, so we've two for two here. Um, yeah. Here's where it gets a little bit tougher to, to match. So, yeah, I, w- I don't expect that to continue. But what did you have for most memorable or favorite line? Uh, memorable line is the same for everybody. I don't care who you are. It's I've come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass and I'm all out of bubblegum. Okay, we'll get that out of the way right now. My favorite line is you, you're okay. This one, real fucking ugly. Are you serious? Yeah. That's what I have written down. <laughs> That's crazy, man. You- I never thought you would have picked that. See, I was, I was, like, I was gonna say the bubblegum line is classic. It is what this movie is known for. Yeah. But I'm gonna choose to go the way of favorite line for this award because, yeah, you know, I leave that open that we can pick. And that was my favorite line, and I literally have that written down. You, you're okay. This one, real fucking ugly. I. It's just. It's great. Great, great line. I loved his delivery on it. Even where he puts like emphasis and and just the way he says it, I love that line. Yeah, cuz it it feels true to the character. That is what that character would say and how they would say it. It didn't feel like acting whatsoever. I can't believe we're 3 for 3 here. I know. I, I know. I, I can't imagine it's going to continue at this point. I favorite movie. I don't Yeah, 4 for 4 is a I don't think that's going to happen. All right, um, well, wh- I start this one. Yeah, what do you got? I have the scene at the newsstand when he first discovers the alien um, in the business suit. Um, the reason that it stood out so much for me is uh, kind of going along with my pick for him being the best performance. 
when he's looking at that guy and he's putting the glasses on and taking them off and putting the glasses on and taking them off, his delivery for facial expressions is fantastic. Um, the scene is capped off perfectly with him looking at the, the money in the newspaper stand attendee's hand that says, this is your God. That scene was just so well done that I can't give this a perfect award scene. anything else. Well, we went three for four. I expected it. I, I'm surprised we even went three, but yeah, me too. No, I had to go with the fight scene. You know, um, I would have been more tempted to do the fight scene if it was shorter. I honestly feel, and I say this with full sincerity, that my view on it soured because I think it overstayed its welcome. It definitely did, and I think that's why I like it so much. I think it's why it's so famous, is because it is so ridiculous and over the top. Like they take multiple breaks during the fight to catch their breath before they start fighting again. Like it's absolutely hilarious. I love it. It's acted really well. It's iconic. I mean, we see it with the cripple fight in South Park with Timmy and Jimmy. Um, almost shot for shot. I mean, they took a lot out because you know you can't have a six-minute fight scene in a twenty-two-minute show. But uh, I-, I could see South Park doing it. <laughs> you you haven't seen that no, before. No, no. Uh, well, oh, you can see them taking six minutes of that episode? Yeah, I could see South Park yeah. dedicating six minutes of, of something like that to... That that sentence didn't start the way I meant it, but I think you know what okay. I mean. I could see yeah. them doing that, right? Yeah, it's so iconic. Uh, I, I think that's two of the most iconic um, pop culture film references are from this movie and that is the bubblegum line and the fight scene so i could easily see the bubblegum line being most memorable or favorite line uh we already agreed that it's it's you know real fucking ugly but uh the fight scene has to be my most memorable i i the whole movie is memorable to me except for fucking frank dying apparently but uh yeah i'm going with the fight scene i'm gonna be honest here i'll give it an honorable mention because yeah years down the road i might remember the fight scene more than the newspaper stand yeah but fresh in my mind much like the line i'm picking it as my favorite scene rather than the most memorable yep and it is most memorable or favorite so they both work all right well those were our picks for the awards if you guys want to share your thoughts on the movie awards or just anything related to the movie they live Hit us up on social media. You can find us on Twitter, at BS Bargain Bin. There's a nice comment section in the YouTube section of the video, or you can hit us up on Facebook. I guess there's only one last thing to do, isn't there? Yes, sir. All right, Ben. What movie are we reviewing next week? Next week, we are watching 1987's The Monster Squad. Monsters are not real. You guys missed it! Oh, fuck it. Rudy saved my life. Yeah, what the hell's Monster Squad? It's us. We're the Monster Squad. 
good and evil are in constant flux back and forth. Only once every hundred years are these forces balanced. And what about the amulet? At the stroke of midnight, the amulet becomes vulnerable. And at that moment, it can be shattered. I have literally no idea what that is. It's amazing. Let's Spoiler. hope so. <laughs> All right. Well, until next week, have a good one, guys. Street peaches. I hate you. <laughs>